You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Tuesday, February the 8th, 2022. This is Alf speaking, the author of The Macro Compass, and I'm joined today by Tony Greer, the editor of The Morning Navigator. How are you doing, Tony? Alf, how are you today, my man? Good, 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 good. Nothing to complain about and some interesting moves in the market too. So we have bond deals again, trying to test the upside of, of their ranges. We have, I mean, front-end bond deals, we're going to talk about that, which are pricing some meaningful probability of even seven or eight hikes at this stage by the Federal Reserve all in 2022. Uh, the stock market is moving too, not only in America where it's going up uh, by one, one and a half percent, depending on what you look at, commodities are moving too. But coming back to the stock market, it was quite a day as well for stocks in Asia because some US listed ch Chinese like Alibaba, for example, they jumped more than 3% on reports and that Chinese state-backed funds are entering the local market to actually buy some shares and to provide a boost to the market. So we have the Real Visions man in Japan, Weston Nakamura, which is breaking it down for us. Hey, Weston. Hey, guys. So just quickly on Chinese equities, um, which reopened this week after a week off from Chinese New Year uh, last week. You know, started the week off strong Monday. Today, however, we saw a pretty steep plunge from China Cash Open. Uh, CSI index was down, you know, over two and a quarter percent. Hang Seng was down like one and a half percent by midday. Then midday headlines came out that China state-backed funds uh, were intervening and buying stocks to support the market. And then you saw a reversal to the upside and basically all the day's losses were erased uh, with the indices closing, you know, closer to flat um, versus the lows of the day. And you're also seeing, you know, U.S. listed ADRs of Chinese stocks strong at U.S. cash equity open. Uh, you know, China Golden Dragon Index up over one and a half percent. Now, note that these direct state interventions into the onshore equity markets is not new nor unique to China. So think of the Bank of Japan's 12 trillion yen per year ETF purchasing uh, or say the Swiss National Bank buying direct shares of Apple. So China did this like notably during the chaotic markets of 2015, but state interventions also seem to come around politically sensitive events and moments. So we saw last March 2021 ahead of the National People's Congress. And then this year, perhaps the most politically significant of year of all with Xi Jinping trying to cement his lifetime leadership over the country. But that comes much later in the year. In the immediate, the Beijing Winter Olympics are taking place and it could you know, not necessarily be about the Olympics themselves, but rather about what may come after the Olympics are done um, or what they may perceive may come when everyone is done playing nice. Um, also note that in the same day today, we saw PBOC officials come down hard once again, slamming Chinese retail brokerage trading apps that allow for cross-border uh, trading, calling them illegal. Um, this is something that's been ongoing since late 2021. So regarding these, you know, market interventions, if indeed the goal isn't so much for the markets themselves, as it is uh, just a component of shaping, you know, public policy and sentiment, both uh, domestically and abroad, uh, then investors shouldn't look through a purely financial lens uh, at this either. And rather, they should look at the broader socio-political angle 
by which the intervening policy directives themselves um, are viewing it. Okay, thanks. So thanks, Weston, for the update. And Tony, I want to ask you, uh, Chinese state-backed funds, meaning Xi Jinping, is basically propping up uh, the stock market today, and he has decided to do so after uh, actually putting out some few more measures over the last few weeks, starting from the PBOC, doing some easing, and then basically uh, officials in China giving guidance to banks, state-owned banks, to actually lend to certain sectors again and make the credit uh, go through the system. What do you make of all of this, and how does this impact uh, your your overarching macro thesis here? Well, Alf, I'm you know I'm not I'm not a China specialist, but when I look at their posture toward the markets, you know it looks like that you know it makes sense that they want to stem the slide of what's going on in their technology markets. For starters, you know they're they're kind of plugging holes in the dam, and quite honestly, it's what's worked for them in the past. You know, as much as we don't like um, centrally planned markets like that. That's their go-to maneuver, right? Is to go in and to act in the markets that they don't really like the way they're going, and and you know provide support, et cetera. And and as much as we complain about that, over time, it usually works. You know, they came after the explosion in commodity prices, and they cut iron ore in half last year. That was really impressive, if you ask me. And so I rather not fight that, um, but I guess you know it does go against. The flow that I'm looking for, Alpha, if it's fair, I've been kind of uh, predicating this year on a big rally in natural resources and a big sell-off in technology. So seeing you know China step in here and kind of stem the slide of the C triple Qs is unfortunate for my position, but it doesn't change anything the way uh, it doesn't change really what I'm looking the way I'm looking at U.S. markets. As you said, we keep pivoting to more and more hikes and a more hawkish Fed. And so that's kind of where I'm I'm watching right now to see where see where the pendulum finally reaches its farthest. And I was curious to ask you what you think because you're way better at bonds than I am. So, <laughs> so uh, first a comment on China as we were touching upon it for a second. Yeah. So, um, I, I created a metric which is called the G5 credit impulse, and it measures the amount of credit uh, or the incremental amount of credit that gets through the system at each point in time. So are we accelerating or decelerating the credit creation that goes through the real economy? Eh? This is not QE, it's proper credit that goes through the economy. And China, Tony, China accounted at some point for 60% of the old credit impulse in the world. And that's ridiculous. Like when these guys decide to go for it, they can really go for it. Yeah. So it's 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 mesmerizing. So when I see these guys turning and changing their posture, as you say, I need confirmation. So if I update my my credit impulse, which I'm doing, uh, it, it it seems to be slightly reversing a bit. It's not a monstrous uptick, but when these guys change narrative, you gotta pay attention to this. And then, of course, it it changes a, a whole lot of uh, macroeconomic forces to asset classes. And um, let's talk for a second about this commodity uh, tech trade, right? So this this duo, it's actually moving in an interesting way, in a way we are not used to see over the last, whatever, five to 10 years at least. Tell us more about this XLE Fung uh, situation here. Oh, okay, so let's talk, well, the breakout in, um, you know, I, the way, you know, this is kind of the way that I'm looking at the world now, Alf, is that, you know, it feels like technology has seen its best days with rates pinned at zero, you know, everybody on lockdown, um, let, you know, a year and a half ago, and them generating tremendous earnings through that, getting the follow through, 
of all the accommodation, et cetera. And, you know, when, when I look back on it, I decide, you know, that how could it possibly look better for big cap technology than it just looked, you know, over the last year where big cap technology was kind of distributing a little bit at the highs. And then we come in this year and it's only February and we've shot two generals already, right? Facebook and Netflix, big 25% haircuts. That's, that's a serious move. And I think that those two stocks in particular are going to have a really difficult time climbing back up the hill. And so I kind of see them as a fang complex, as a lot of technical damage being done. And everything that I look at in natural resources, especially in the oil patch, ALF is breaking out, right? And, and testing old highs and making new headway on the highs and holding the dips. So, you know, I feel like you, people talk about $100 oil as the next barometer. It's like, yeah, that, that feels like that's happening, but on its way to something else, it feels like we're on to something pretty major here in the oil sector. And the only thing that we're going to run into now is excess positioning where the trade community gets too long, you know, and we buy it up into rallies. And next thing, there's no incremental buyer and the positioning has to get cut down. But other than that, we continue to build a strong fundamental, technical and, you know, underlying <clears throat> fundamental picture in the commodity itself. You know, we're going into this year with lower Cushing inventories and, um, you know, above average gasoline demand. So you put those two things together and it makes sense why the prices are flying off our screen right now. Yeah. So your uh, your take on oil this year has been spot on oil or natural resources. Um, so well done, to be honest, also the way you articulated it. There are different time frames, of course, in every assessment one makes of, of asset classes here and there. Um, but the the underlying situation of low capex and tail, let's say, structural tailwinds for the commodity sector are undeniable, I should say, on, 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 the, on the marginal level. Uh, more short terms, as you said, or already there can be retracements here and there. And one retracement we saw today when basically uh, Putin and Macron sat at the same table and had a chat about the geopolitical situation between Russia and Ukraine. And apparently the translation wasn't great enough because um, Macron came out saying that he basically got Putin on the wire saying that he's not going to invade Ukraine. And then Putin sent his, his officials around to say, sorry, what? Yeah. I didn't say that. So what's your take on the, on the whole meeting and the reaction of the oil market, which retraced, obviously, showing that geopolitical tensions played a role in the short term price upside that oil had? Yeah, well, that's, you know, obviously there's been some premium, I think, in the last several days, Alf, built into the energy complex due to uh, the confrontation or the confrontation that's being constructed that we're, you know, getting through. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to play out, but I would not want to be negotiating against Putin right now, um, you know, who has the sort of world supply of natural resources under his command. And, you know, Russia's excuse me, and, and you know, France slash Europe heading into, you know, the dead of winter now with a limited supply of natural gas on their hands. So, you know, Macron really can talk as loudly and as strongly as he wants. Um, Putin is going to set the price of energy in Europe for the most part. So, you know, we've got a little bit of volatility, a little pullback from the highs um, off of the you know last couple of days in that conversation. But to me, it all seems like very much within the construct of a bull market. If I, you, when you take a look at the short term spreads, for example, Alf and for example, in WTI, 
front month spreads have gone from, you know, they were around a dollar. Call it, call it March, April was around a dollar for the most of last year. It just got sucked into 20 cents and then rallied to a dollar 75. So we are now widening the calendar out. The curve is getting steeper again. And we're going into, you know, we're going to come out of winter and then into the spring where we have seasonal gas demand and we're going in with depleted gasoline inventory. So, you know, we just continue to set up for higher energy prices and probably leading to higher base metal and grain prices along the way. Yeah. And Tony, because you're talking about basically describing in uh, layman terms and very well backwardation that we see in not only the oil future curves, but also in in a bunch of commodities future curves, actually, where basically the spot price is much higher than uh, the back price for for contracts. So say one year or two months or three months down the road, which speaks about the premium that traders want to pay to get their hands on um, the the energy uh, prices today, actually. there are studies out there or uh, let's say research that shows that an extreme backwardation and for extreme, I'm talking about 10% plus of spot price actually where uh, in backwardation that might predict uh, some drawdowns in the energy prices because then it means the market is getting too bullish, positioning is getting too extreme. Are you, do you buy into this thesis first of all? into let's say pullbacks that we might see, or is it not is this book backwardation actually has something else behind and you're not that worried about it? I, I think this time around, Alf, that there's more behind it um, than, than that sort of age old story that, you know, when things get too backwardated, eventually there's a, a pullback in the spot price, right? We just did that, right? We, we just, we just uh, saw, for example, one year calendar spreads, the last time they went out past seven, eight dollars, they got to ten dollars, eleven dollars in the full year calendar. That's usually when a month or two to three months later, you see lower spot prices in crude when the calendar gets stretched out, which is exactly the dynamic you're speaking of. We just did that exercise where the calendar got blown out to ten dollars. It collapsed into about five or six dollars. And now it's widened out to $12 again, and it doesn't look like it's having a deleterious effect on price right now. So I'm, I'm nervous for the upside because we just went through that exercise where you know the last of the longs got washed out, the spreads pulled back, we had this big deflationary scare, and now all of a sudden the oil market comes barking back in a very short period of time and makes a new high. That's not a market I wanna fight, Alf, not for me at all. I think it's still going higher. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Moving to the guys that can actually spook the party for aggregate demand across the globe by tightening in a very serious way. Instead of starting from the Federal Reserve and the moving the bond market there, I'd like to start from the European Central Bank because that's quite the news. I mean, these guys 
are known to be extremely cautious about hiking cycles. They are known to be, uh, you know, very, very, very dovish, generally speaking, and very patient. And in the last press conference, Lagarde, the European Central Bank president, she didn't sound cautious, or at least as cautious as we are used to, right? So she went to the wire and she said that um, the hump, as she used to call it in inflation, is apparently lasting a little bit longer. And, you know, with 5% CPIs, they maybe feel quite uncomfortable here and then therefore should tighten. And the market reacted big times. What do you make of this uh, European pivot, basically? It sounds a little bit like she saw a ghost, right? And and it feels like the market isn't prepared for that, Alf. It's been 10 years, right? Like we've gone through how many sort of cycles where the European banks have been on the lows and we're, we're starting to sort of X them off of our trading pad because they're about to go under, right? And so that's when we've kept rates pinned low, for you know, pinned at zero for those, you know, traumatic times for the bank balance sheets, et cetera. And we seem to have come out the other side. Now she definitely is, you know, making it clear to the market that rates are going higher. We've got the majority of Germany's curve back in positive yield territory. And I think that's going to be a lot of adjusting for, for them in the banking system there. And it probably doesn't bode very well, you know, in the short term for equities, to be quite honest with you, in Europe. So We'll see if that, you know, finally turns the tide there, but it's still going one way with the commodity trade and the central banks have got to figure out a way to respond. My guess is their verbal response is the loudest response, you know, and then in actuality, they wind up doing something a little bit less hawkish, maybe, or maybe it takes longer to implement hawkish policy, but they are sending the message across very clear, as you pointed out, Alf. they are, they are, rates are going higher over there. Yeah, I remember in December on the Macro Compass publishing an article that said central banks speak and I translate for you where I pointed out, I mean, these guys are changing their narrative. It's it's pretty clear they are. And the, the interesting thing is that um, if you look at the pricing of European Central Bank deposit rate one year from now, the bond market is pricing the that, that rate to be plus 10 basis points from minus 50 today. So 60 basis point for Americans might not sound a lot, but for Europeans, 60 basis point in a full year, it's as hawkish as the European Central Bank hiking cycle in the first year can ever get priced. And the reaction is that, as the chart shows here for listeners as well, this chart shows yield curve slope between five year and 30 year in Europe. The yield curve is flattening pretty aggressively because all the hikes have been front loaded into pricing. So people expect the European Central Bank to wake up and actually do something. Also following the, um, the press conference of Lagarde, I mean, she, she signaled that they are preparing a tightening. And then look at that. I mean, the long end of, of the yield curve in Europe cannot keep up the same pace of yield increases. So the yield curve flattens also here very aggressively. This chart goes all the way back to 2008. And we are basically at the flattest level in the yield curve, effectively since the great financial crisis. That's quite staggering, isn't it, Tony? Yeah, that's unbelievable, man. That that is that is a great chart to put up there, Alf. Well put. But the other the other thing is, uh, if you move to the Fed, um, also there, you know, their their um, their change of narrative has been pretty impressive since October, November last year. Impressive to the point where the bond market actually is not sure anymore what's possible this year. What are they supposed to price in? I mean, like. These guys don't seem to be drawing a line in the sand, literally. Or as I said on the macro compass, they don't cut 
the hawkish right tail of the distribution. So people tend to think of, of bond markets uh, pricing in a certain outcome. It's four ikes or five ikes or five and a half ikes. Actually, it's a distribution of probabilities. That's the chart we're showing here. For people who can listen, it shows where, according to traders, in December 2022, the Fed funds rate are going to end with a certain probability attached to each outcome. So in the, in the chart, there are uh, three ikes, four ikes, five ikes, all the way to eight ikes. And the distribution, Tony, is centered around five to six hikes, which is quite aggressive. But I want to call the attention of the audience to the fact that the right hawkish, very hawkish tail of the distribution, we're talking about seven, eight or nine hikes in a single year. It's now priced to be at 20 percent. 20 percent is not a small probability, Tony, isn't it? Whew, man, I mean, that's a bond market rim shaker. I mean, that that is serious, you know. Like I said, they saw a ghost, man. You know, they're 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 actively witnessing the commodity breakouts alongside, I think, you know, the the end of lockdowns around the world in a different, you know, in different phases. We saw a couple of countries in Europe say they're gonna end mandates. We've got a couple of states here that were the last holdouts. And I'm trying not to let that, you know, that be lost on me that the market is going to react to that. Yeah. Right, Alpha. I mean, there's a lot of pent up demand and there's still a lot of liquidity in the system. So even though we're talking about rate hikes, et cetera, et cetera, you know, the Fed balance sheet continues to grow as we speak right now at the moment, even though we're technically preparing for it potentially to, um, you know, be pared down a little bit. But at the same time, you know, there, there's a lot of inflationary forces that are really taking over now. And I'm thinking that the commodity markets and bond markets are really going to have to react to a reopening or at least the absolute end of this lockdown concept that's going to be important for the market to get through. But Tony, are you not afraid that the Federal Reserve or the ECB or any other central bank around the world raising the cost of credit by hiking in a relatively aggressive way, right, for, for what is normal, let's say, in the recent hiking cycle from the central banks? Uh, are you not afraid this will increase the cost of credit for the private sector, which means also their ability to continue being able to spend and consume at the same pace will actually be pretty difficult to achieve? Does it not scare you? Or, or on the balance of assessments, you think the, the real economy can handle a few hikes actually here? Well, it does scare me, but I think that it's all navigable in terms of trading. So I think that, yes, I think that I do, you know, it's it's important to price in the possibility that they do something sort of a little more hawkish than the market expects or, you know, even if they stay on this hawkish path, yes, credit is going to tighten up, make it more difficult for the retail consumer. What I've started to do, Alf, is I've put out a couple of shorts in the market that are, you know, what I think are sectors that can really struggle this year and struggle while natural resources rally. So I could picture a scenario where the commodities index continues higher you know, the the consumer is loses a great deal of his discretionary um, spending yeah. money because now he's spending on more on groceries and bacon and eggs than he was, um, you know, and then maybe their retail sales will definitely reflect that where we should see some kind of a pullback. I would expect that to be the first place that we see sign of economic cracking, you know, even before GDP backs off. I would imagine that, you know, you'll see sentiment back off and retail sales slow at some level. So I've been short retail, Alf, and I'm short things like, you know, Twitter and the triple Qs from good levels. And, you know, I'm trying to manage them because it's very difficult. But 
I think that we could see a year where, you know, at the end of the year, XLE up 65, 75% again, um, you know, call it the FANG complex down 20%. And the S&P is in negative territory at the end of the year, right? Because all that violent rotation out of technology into probably natural resources and things like that, net, net, it's a negative effect on the stock indices. So yeah. that wouldn't shock me this year, especially, you know, now we're pricing in five, six rate hikes this year. You know, the market's going to struggle with that. The market's going to struggle with that. Look, I mean, um, I'm, I'm, I've been really surprised by the strength of uh, cyclical so far. Well, strength, the relative strength, let's yeah. say, of, of some of these real economy cyclicals. So, so yeah. retail, for example. Um, and also, to be honest, um, energy is trading on, on Mars. Literally, it's incredible. It's breaking up. It's trading super strong. Um, so I've been right on the bond market thesis, on the flatteners, on the fact that the bond market will be saying that if you price in so many hikes at the front end over the long term, the structural forces are way too strong for the bond market and the real economy to sustain this higher level of, of, of yields, basically, for the real economy to, to handle. So the curve would flatten, but then you have other uh, sectors of, of the market which should somehow be related to the drop in aggregate demand or the reversal to structural factors, which are not behaving as such. So the market is always humbling uh, for anybody. And so, you know, sometimes you just have to assess what's working and what's not, which is completely fine. We're going to take another quick break to hear words from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. One last thing from my side on the bond market is that. Uh, I found this chart pretty impressive, posted it on the macro compass. If I look at what the market is pricing for Fed funds rate, they're pricing quite a lot, Tony, we discussed it over the next one or two years, very aggressive, uh, up to, uh, you know, seven hikes there um, over the next year, and then few more coming over the next, uh, over, over the second year, so 2023. But if you move to 2024, and after that, the market is saying, well, sorry guys, but you're basically done. So you go all the way through it, you do seven, eight, nine hikes over the next two years, and then you're done. If you look at 2024 and forward, market is saying, sorry, but I need to invert basically the, the, the odds here. You won't be able to do that. So before I get your comments on that, um, I think the, the audience should listen to what Peter Bokvar and Maggie Lake had to discuss about the chance of the Fed hiking seven times, because Peter had some uh, good, in interesting ideas about that. Well. The, the Fed has has laid out their plans, at least for the next couple of meetings, in that they will obviously end QE in March. They will raise rates 25 basis points in March. They will raise rates again in May. Now, that, of course, will only take the Fed funds rate to 50 to 75 basis points. But that's how the Fed will sort of calibrate this, is, OK, let's, let's get off the mat, get this thing going. And then at that main meeting, after raising interest rates, see how things play out. Because this is like one gigantic pinball machine that for every bumper a ball hits, the Fed doesn't necessarily where, know, knows where that ball is going to go after. 
And because of the markets, the economy in bed with monetary policy, uh, we don't know, or we should say the Fed doesn't know after they, 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 they pull that lever and that ball starts moving with the end of QE and these rate hikes, how that will ricochet into the markets and what that means for the economy. And that's why, you know, the sell side's throwing out, oh, they're going to raise four, five, six. I think Bank America says they're just going to raise every time the rest of their, their meetings. While they may do any of this, the Fed is not thinking the seven meetings hence. They're yeah. saying, okay, let's get through the next couple of meetings yeah. and then see what happens. Not just with the market and economic reaction is where where's inflation going to be. But I think regardless... And of course, they're going to talk about shrinking their balance sheet. Regardless, they're so far behind where they should be that they're just badly playing catch up. Measured assessment by, by Peter with Maggie. If you want to listen to the full interview, you can go on the Real Vision website. Um, guys, so Tony, you, you listened to Peter as well, right? And we got a question from the audience that actually ties into that. So let's get that one. So Gonzalo is basically asking, say that the Fed does QT, but it's only one trillion. You know, it's not a huge amount of QT straight away. And then they hike, but they do hike four times, a more reasonable number of hikes, one per every big meeting, let's say. They do four hikes, let's say. So come back maybe a month, a month earlier when the assessment was more, you know, a, a rational one and, and less a tail assessment. And so maybe during the year, there are some base effects and inflation comes still, still goes pretty strong, but it comes down and it's running at three, 4% year on year, very high still, but you know, he's basically making a case for a more, uh, you know, just shallow outcome here. What do you think about these odds? Would you say this is your base case, Tony, or it's just, uh, it's not going to happen this way? I, I don't think it's going to happen that way, Alf. I really don't. I, I think there's a couple of things wrong with that. You know, being thinking, you know, we, we've just let the inflation genie out of the bottle, right? For, for 10 years, we couldn't get it to pop its head above 2%. Now we've got, we're looking at, you know, 7% CPI, 8, 9% PPI, and we're going to tighten in response to that. But I don't know that it's necessarily going to stop the inflation that's been let out of the bottle dead in its tracks, right? Like, I don't care how many times they hike. It's not, it may not take anything away from the energy markets. The, the energy markets may not be very phased. And the, the longer energy markets stay buoyant, the longer the inflation spreads into metals and other commodities. So it's, you know, the Fed is expecting or the, the trade is expecting sort of a one and a half year flash in the pan of inflation, and then they're expecting it to all unwind and go away. And, you know, just to be as a commodity trader, it's hard, you know, higher prices are always the cause of higher prices, right, Alf? But what's different now is that there is an attack on supply from a lot of administrative levels, right? That's essentially what ESG is. It's attack on supply. So it's not going to be as easy for commodity traders to say, oh, the price of this commodity is going up, let me supply more of it, right? Because we're pulling rigs out of the ground. So that's, yeah. this is a much different dynamic than we've um, been headed towards before. And so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm sort of very, you know, I, my brain doesn't go out past the year. I just pay attention to what the bond market's saying through you who's following it. 
And, you know, I just feel that maybe the scenario for now, it's too short sighted to think that, oh, it's just going to be a one year bump and we're going to be back to business as usual with a dollar fifty gasoline at the pump. I mean, I would love to see it, but I don't know that it happens that quickly. Fair enough. We have a question on oil, which is a favorite topic of yours, especially because it's going your way. <laughs> for, now, for now. So they're asking uh, basically a question to both of us uh, in some sense. So um, Christopher is asking uh, for, to TG, so to you, oil is retracing today. Are you looking at key levels? Do you have key levels in mind? Um, I mean... I, I can call up the chart and, and say that it probably remains, you know, in this technical uptrend that it's in, just given the fact that we're still going into growing demand and shrinking supply, broadly speaking, right? I, we can go into that eight different ways, but I would be fine if crude oil for call it front month crude oil WTI pulled back to $85, $80, right? That, that still isn't going to change anything about the trade to me. It may take a pullback that steep to clear out some length out of the markets. And like I said, I think that that's more than likely going to be the battle that we fight as energy traders this year. You know, um, Gartman's bullish energy, Jim Cramer's now bullish energy. There's probably been a rush of retail right into energy in the last week or two because of those calls. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that I like to throw some offers out on the screen for Alf to see if they'll bite and you know look to buy things back at a lower price but everything is intact for energy markets and even energy stocks most importantly we listened to exxon mobil's earnings call last week couldn't have gone better couldn't have gone better and so i think that the big cap stocks are going to have plenty of capex to pivot into the esg world and continue meeting oil demand as best they can and then Christopher is asking me, Alf, are you still short oil? Yes, unfortunately, yes. No, I'm still short. I'm, or maybe fortunately, yes, because I haven't been stopped out yet. And if I am stopped out, then I am stopped out. But Jim Cramer is long. Everybody and their mother are talking about Russia and Ukraine. So, I mean, it's on everybody's radar and a slight de-escalation today, slight. And it actually even walked back from Russia, led to a 2% decline, basically, of oil. Uh, I'm off the money, but I think aggregate demand is going to get it by uh, the hiking cycle. It's going to take maybe a bit longer than I expected to fit through. And while the tailwinds that Tony is describing are there, and I'm the first one who recognizes that, and also on other commodities, on copper, on aluminum, on other commodities, long-term tailwinds are there. I still think that the strength we have been seeing in some cyclical sectors when the Federal Reserve is withdraw and other central banks are withdrawing support and credit is not flowing into the system at the same base it used to over the last few years, while the supply bottlenecks are on everybody's radar, plus the geopolitical tensions, plus Jim Cramer went long, guys. Come on, seriously. That's by far the, the, the key of my thesis to be tactically short. But again, um, so far so bad and so far so good for Tony, guys. So cheers to the guy. You're, you're allowed to trade both ways, Alp. I would not be shocked if you make money on your short and then I make money being long again after that. It's a, it's a great volatile market, so stick to your guns, man. I'm, I'm, when I see Jim Cramer and Gartman go long, believe me, I adjust. <laughs> I love that. Tony, this has been another great chat. It's always fun to talk to you. I hope it the is. audience liked it too. Uh, thanks for being here, Tony, and thanks everybody for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Uh, Maggie will be back tomorrow with Darius Dale. Don't miss it. Uh, Tony, thanks again. Oh, thanks for all your awesome guidance in the treasury markets. I'd be lost without you. <laughs> Too kind of you.
What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.